Hi, good evening. Thank you to, uh, for this opportunity, Anthony, um, to be able to, I'm very glad to be able to bring to you God's word this evening. The text we're going to be reading from is Colossians. I would like you to turn with me there, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And since uh, it's just four verses, I'd like us all to read it together. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. And if we could just read it together, that would be very nice. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you died, and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with him in glory. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, these are your words, and you have given them to us. They are enough to give us hope in a dark world. It is enough for us to be able to base our whole life on it. If we wanted to build a foundation, we have your words to do so. And we thank you so much that we get to have it written down for us. I pray, Lord, that you would open up our ears this evening and our eyes to see the promises of the gospel. To see that we have been made complete and that we are reserved for glory when the time comes. Help us to look away from ourselves. Help us to look away from any man-made religion and help us to keep our eyes on you until the day of glory comes. May our hope be steadfast. May our vision be clear and precise, and may we not be swayed from left to right. For we know, Lord, it's you who will keep us, it is you who will sustain us, and it is you who has begun a good work in us and will bring it to completion. Help us, Lord, to set our hope on this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So, we live in a world that is hungry for validation. Everyone is measuring and measured by what they have accomplished or what they have accumulated. People find themselves always looking over their shoulder, unsure if they are enough, hoping that someone will validate them hoping that somebody will tell them that they are enough or that they are doing well. This is the fertile ground for man-made religion and cultic practices. 
This is a place where you never are sure if you are enough, if you're measured by your own efforts. But what standard is good enough? There's always more to be done. If we measure ourselves by money, then we have, we don't have an end of what is enough of money. There's always another dollar to be made. Um, even for myself, I used to think and I used to take pride in how many kids I got. Thinking, wow, look at me. I'm doing well. And I was taking pride in this. Or look at me of what school I go to. Or look at me of what I married or I have a house or what kind of job I have. Because I wanted validation, not even just from the world, but even from my own parents. So this world is always setting up standards. And religion is always setting up standards. That you have to meet a certain standard in order for you to have enough or to be enough or to be in. So my question is, where can the Christian find true hope? Where can the Christian actually cultivate true, solid hope? That they are in, or that they are enough. This is the problem that was facing the Colossian church, the church at Colossae. There is this man-made religion that came up who were tempting the Christians, saying, you're not enough. Jesus doesn't love you until you abstain from eating, eating certain foods or you abstain from touching certain things or you abstain from tasting certain things. You actually have to hurt your body so that your spirit can thrive they would say. You have to suffer your physical flesh so that your spiritual flesh will grow. That wasn't enough. They came to the Christian churches around that area and they were saying, hey, check out my vision of these angels that I've had last night. Or listen to my philosophies. Or listen to my ideas. Paul calls them plausible arguments or empty deceit, trying to defraud you of your prize. It's almost as if if you were to listen to them and you were to follow after them, you would be defrauded of your prize. You would, your hope in the gospel would be taken away. Because you're going to follow their rules, you're going to follow their system, And you're always going to be found empty. You're going to work so hard and spend yourself and receive emptiness. So this, as you would imagine, is very concerning. Especially to the pastor of this church, Epaphras. And so what he did to get this letter even started is that he went and saw Paul the Apostle Paul, to ask him, are we enough? What can we do to show that we are enough? What what do we need to do to prove that we are in? My people are measuring themselves by this false religion that's coming. 
They're not eating. They're not enjoying food. They're not enjoying life. They are isolating themselves. And they are miserable. Paul, are we enough? Are we in? Does Jesus actually love us? Do we actually have hope in heaven? Do we actually have this confidence that we will receive glory? And so Paul writes this letter. He writes this letter to encourage and to point the church of Colossae to Jesus Christ. Look at some of the words that he uses here. Let's go to chapter 1. I'm going to pick out a few verses just to get the taste of what Paul is trying to do to remind them of who is Jesus. Let's go to chapter 1, please. And I'm going to look at verse 3. And I'll just read a few verses here and there, okay? He says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Why? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, just as it is in all the world and is constantly bearing fruit and multiplying. You heard it from Epaphras. So what is this gospel message provided for them when they first heard it? Hope. But this hope is not fickle. Or it's not vanishing. It's actually laid up in heaven for them. It is a hope that can be counted on. A hope that is reserved for them. The same hope that we have today in the gospel. There is a hope for us. If we go on, we are going to be told about what has God done for us. Notice the past tense. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints' light who rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His Son, the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So, just here in the beginning chapter, Paul is reminding them of what the Father has done to qualify them. It didn't say... Hey, remember your efforts for the past five years. You guys, you were doing so well. You you loved your neighbors so well. So then God looked at how you loved your neighbors and then qualified you. No. He has qualified us. He transferred us. He has moved us from the kingdom of darkness and He transferred us into the kingdom of His Son. These are, this kind of language only God can do. And then he also wants to remind the church about the quality of Jesus Christ. He wants to remind them that the person that they are hoping in can be counted on. Look at what he says in verse 15 and on. I mean, it's so beautiful. I just want to bring this out to our minds. Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, 
He's the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. This is still talking about Jesus. So he himself will come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So we see this picture of Jesus and who he is. He is the fullness of God. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. He walked on our earth. Oh, he created the earth that he's walking on. And this is the person that they are hoping in in the gospel. It's kind of scary. How do I know that Jesus loves me? How do I make sure that he loves me? He is so high and lifted up. He is so holy. And I am not. It kind of is in us to want to do something to kind of validate his love. But look at this. Look at verse 21 and 22. And although you were formerly alienated and enemies in mind and evil deeds, but now he reconciled you in the body of his flesh through death. Who did it? Who did it? He, Jesus did it. He reconciled us, yes, in the body of his flesh through death. In order, why did he do that? In order to present you before him, how? Holy and blameless and above reproach. Wait a minute. Jesus has reconciled us to himself in order to what? To present us holy? And blameless? And beyond reproach? So if Jesus is going to claim us to be holy, and Jesus is going to claim us to be blameless, and Jesus is going to claim us to be reproached because of what he has done, the man-made religion that comes and says, ah, 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 you got to not eat apple on the third day of the week. Ah, 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 you can't put on that kind of clothing. Ah, 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 you can't go to that school. Ah, you can't do that because then you're not in. After what we just heard, that the Holy God Himself is going to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. That's the hope we have. This is something that Jesus done and is doing. This is not something that I can control. Remember all the past tense. I didn't transfer myself out of the domain of darkness. <laughs> the domain of darkness. If I'm under that authority, how am I going to get out of it? There has to be a greater power. And Jesus is that greater power. Look at this. Go down to verse 28 of chapter 1. 
Again, Paul is, he's suffering in this gospel for them. He is going through a lot for it, but he's happy to do so. He's happy to give himself up for this message because of who he was. And he says something. Him we proclaim, verse 28, admonishing every man or woman and teaching every man and woman, all right, with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. It's wisdom he's after. He's after their thinking. He's after the truth. He wants them to believe the truth. Because through that truth, they may be complete in Christ. So, look at this. Let's go to chapter 2 now. Go down to verse... Oh, it's all amazing. Sorry, the format's a little different for me. Okay. Look at verse, let's start with verse um, 8. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. This is kind of the hint of what's going on over there. According to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world, and not according to Christ, for in him, again, he's reminding them, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And in him, you have been, what? Filled. Who is the head over all rule and authority. In him, you have been filled. Wow. You know, when we look for fillings, by accumulation and by efforts and works to validate our salvation, we're never filling up. We're never being filled. We try and we try and we try and we're always going to feel empty or we're always going to come up empty. But here, this is where we can find our fullness in Him. Verse 12, Having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you being dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive with Him, having graciously forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, verse 14, which was hostile to us, he also has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So what Paul has, is doing over and over and over again is reminding them of the truth of the gospel. He's reminding them again and again and again of the truths of the gospel. Then we get to chapter 3. This is our text now. This text in four verses has Christ five times. In this text, we're going to see three truths and two commands. There's more truths than commands. And we have to get the order right. Okay? We are not to think that we have to do the commands to make the truths true. The truths are true. How we live and how we respond to the truth is the fruit of us believing in it. I believe in this truth, therefore I live like this. 
I don't live like this in order to get these truths. Do you see? There's a difference. A lot of the world man-made religions will say, you have to, I don't know, let's pick on Islam. Pray five times a day. Go visit Mecca. Don't eat pork. Do, 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 do. And then maybe you'll get into heaven. Whereas the Christian has heaven reserved for them because of what Christ has done. Now live this way. It changes everything. Because now I can enjoy my life. Now I can actually enjoy my life knowing that my salvation is secure because of Him. And I don't have to reach a certain standard to get it. Look at what it says. Let's just look at the... If we think about order, I want to start in verse 3. Because being raised in verse 1, we have to be dead first, right? You can't just be raised from life. You had to die. And Paul is reminding them in verse 3 of this truth. He says, For you died, and your life has been hidden with Christ and God. For you died. What does that mean? I didn't die. You didn't die. What is he trying to say to them? For you have died. Please go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Oh, sorry, 2 Corinthians. <laughs> 2 Corinthians 5.17. I read that wrong. He says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. There is a death that happens to every Christian. We have lived for ourselves our whole life. We have lived in a certain manner of life with certain goals and certain hopes and desires. But when we met Christ, all those things have passed away. And it's been replaced with new things. Things of a new creation. Hasn't it happened to you? That one day you used to love a certain sin. You met Christ and then that sin has become repulsive to you. Ah, I don't like that anymore. This is what Paul is talking about here in chapter 3. You died. You're not living for yourself anymore. You remember the unity that you had with him in Christ's baptism? When he died, you died. You're not living for yourself anymore. You're living in a brand new way. Don't you, don't you see now? Once you were an enemy of God, And now you want to be his friend. 
Now you're a lover of God. You used to love your sin. Now you don't. You have a new life. Look at verse 1 now. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Stop right there. First of all, recognize that your resurrection is directly tied to Christ. It is because of Christ that we are raised up. But how is it that we have we, we are raised up? Look back in chapter 2, please. And you will find... Verse 12. Having been buried with Him in baptism in which you also were raised up with Him through what? Through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. Let's look at uh, Colossians 2.20. If you have died with Christ, to what? To the elementary principles of the world. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You used to live one way, and now you live in another. Look at with me in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Paul brings this idea again. By the way, Ephesians and Colossians were written at the same time. And so he, in the same prison, he's sending out these two with Philemon. So it's very similar, very complementary. But look at this. Talking right after he explained to them all of the spiritual blessings they have in Christ Jesus from chapter 1. Incredible chapter. I recommend you read it tonight just to remind yourself of the spiritual blessings you have in Jesus. But look at chapter 2. And you were dead in the transgressions and sins. Look at this. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all also formerly conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by children, oh, sorry, and were, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So our old manner of life, all it was going to give us was wrath. Why? We were doing the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were conducting ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. We didn't know the things about God. We were just living life. Thinking that how we were living life was good. It makes me feel good. And in reality, we were headed for wrath. We were headed for wrath. And then my favorite word in verse 4, and probably all of the Bible, but Yahweh, or but God, or but Jesus. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. 
By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him. And seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Whoa! So that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. There it is again. It is a gift of God. Not of works. So that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Again, look at the grace of God. We didn't raise ourselves up from the dead. Cannot do that. There has to be a supernatural power that's above us, powerful enough to resurrect our dead spiritual life to make Him alive so that God can walk with Him. And not just walk with Him, but in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. So to take the status of a dead man, he skips over the, the, the slave portion or he skips over even the employee version. He skips over the friend version. He skips over the brother, sister version, daughter, son. And he takes you to united with Jesus. He's going to present you whole, who's holy in the whole universe. Who is holy in the whole universe? God is. So to be presented at that level tells us that we are united with Christ. First of all, we didn't deserve this. That we have been graciously given this by Him. So Paul says it in a past tense. Look at how again, back in chapter 3, verse 1. If you have been raised up with Christ, he says, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, this phrase is very important for us to know. What does it mean that Christ is seated at the right hand of God? Uh, let's look at Psalm 110 really quick. This is a quotation from a psalm. This is a messianic psalm. It's actually the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Psalm 110. There's two aspects I want us to see from this. First, Jesus' kingly aspect. And second, his priestly aspect of being of sitting next to God in heaven. Okay? Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies as a footstool for your feet. Yahweh will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, have dominion in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely in the day of your power and the splendor of holiness from the womb of the dawn. The dew of your youthfulness will be yours. This is highlighting the, the dominion of the Messiah, the, king, the kingly aspect of being the authority that Jesus has sitting at the right hand of God. And also, look at this. Yahweh, verse 4, has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Talking to the same person. You are a priest forever. According to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings in their day of his anger. He will render justice among the nations. He will fill them. And on and on it goes. 
there are two aspects. So what Jesus is doing today, this evening, right now, is that he is not only sitting at the highest throne of all of the universe, but he's also interceding for you. He is interceding right now for you. Look at what it says in um, Hebrews chapter 7. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 7. Sorry I made you jump a lot. I just want you to taste this. I want you to see it. This is amazing. I want you to grab these truths. I'm going to probably speed it up. Chapter 7. Blessed start with verse 22. So much more, Jesus also had become the guarantee of a better covenant. This is talking about the new covenant coming, and Jesus is going to be the guarantee of it. Okay, he's the one that's going to mediate it. Verse 23, And the former priests on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever or completely those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Do you realize that in heaven, there's no creature that has your name on His lips except for Christ? There's no angel interceding for you in heaven. Your family members who have passed are not standing before God. Oh God! Let Habib in. No. But guess who is? The one seated at the highest authority of all the universe. At the right hand of God. The one who is actually capable of getting an audience with God. Right? He's the one that walked through the Holy of Holies. And now he speaks on our behalf because he lives continuously to intercede for us. So, let's go back to Colossians. Hey, look at what you have in Christ. Now, when someone comes up to you and says, hey, you can't wear that shirt, (laughs) you can't can't listen to that song, or you can't do this because now you're going to be out, doesn't work. Because look at what Christ has done for you. The second truth, also notice that he identified where the things above are. He points to Christ and he solidifies it by Scripture that he is at a specific place right now at the right hand of God. He is not saying just think of, you know, the things above and whatever comes to your mind comes to your mind sensuously. He says, think think about the things above, not on things on earth. I want you to jump down to verse 3. For you died, again, there it is, and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. If you were to think of what is the most secure place you can be in the whole universe, where would it be? Outside of God. This word hidden has two aspects to it. Number one, we can't really see it for what it is. But also number two, to keep something safe. It's to hide something, to keep it safe. That's the aspect of this word here. So you died, 
And it's not just like God rose you up from the dead and let you go. What did he do? He's keeping you safe. Where is he keeping you safe? With Christ in God. He puts you in the most safest place. He's going to hold you forever. These man-made religions who are trying to put you under the yoke of do, do, do so that God loves you, rather than what Paul is doing, look, look, look how much God loves you. Look, look, look how much God loves you. Now do. It's easier for us to do now. Why? Look, look, look how much God loves you. Do you see the difference? They're trying to put a yoke on people. Prove it. Oh, you have eaten and within the six hours you weren't supposed to eat. Your life has been hidden. This is a passive idea. You didn't walk yourselves into God's locker room. God has placed you there. And then not only are all these truths oozing out of Paul to fill the mind of these Colossians so that they are able to resist this temptation of validation and to guard themselves so that they could grow in their devotion and love to Christ, he adds one more. This is a truth that has happened, but not yet. Because so far, we're so united to Christ, right? Just read it again. With Christ, where Christ is. With Christ, with Christ. When Christ now. When Christ. That means Christ is going to do one more thing. When Christ... Look how he identifies Jesus. First, in the early chapters, he identified him as God. Now he identifies him as our life. Who is our life. We don't need any more identifiers. You know, like, how do you identify? (laughs) People look at so many things to how to show themselves peculiar. I listen to this kind of music, or I identify with this sex, or I identify with this gender, or I like this color, or I like this food, I like this culture. Here, the best identifier in the world. Christ. When Christ, who is our life, is manifested, one day he's going to be revealed, or he's going to be taken out of the locker, where we kind of understand what's going on, but one day it's going to be manifested. Look at what he says. Then you what? Verse 4 at the end. Then you also will be manifested with Him in glory. These are truths that, that come from the gospel. We didn't deserve it. God in His love and in His mercy brought us back to life, united us with Christ because of our faith, and He is now holding us for all eternity. The idea here is this. If Christ stops existing, if God stops being God, our salvation is in trouble. That's the idea. Christ lives on forever. God lives on forever. Therefore, you are, you are secured in Him forever. And it's not based on what you do. 
because of his love and because of what he has done. So, the people facing temptation and validation, the people are not sure that Christ loves, and this happens to all of us. It happens to me too. It's the sinful nature of our, it's our sinful nature to want to do something to prove something. Paul doesn't go to any human achievement. He pointed it all to Christ. He didn't say to the Colossians, just remember when you first heard the gospel. He doesn't go there. He reminds them of the gospel again. They, there's maybe some people who know it. I know it. I, lie, I need to be reminded of it again. Why? The, these truths don't change. I change. My circumstances change. I could have a very bad week. Then I can question, God, do you love me? I could have a great week. Ah, I don't care if God loves me. The truths of the gospel do not change. We change. So what does Paul do to protect, to get them to get their minds right? He goes after their mind. So I just listed all the truths of the gospel, right? <clears throat> you have been raised up with Christ. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Uh, he is seated at the right hand of God, which means he's interceding for you and he is the ultimate authority. And one day he's going to show himself and you're going to be united with him in glory. So what do you do with all this information? Here's the command. Go back to verse 1. He says, keep seeking the things above. Keep seeking the things above. This word seeking has an aspect of desire. Want. Also notice that there is no limit to how much you can seek. Which means you cannot exhaust this wonderful gospel. You actually can grow in it. You can gather more of it. He says keep seeking or keep wanting. Keep putting your mind where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Keep looking up. When temptation comes and you feel unassured about your own salvation, look at what Christ is doing today for you. When you mess up and you mess up and you mess up and you're not sure, does Christ still love me? Look at what Christ is doing for you. Keep seeking. Desire, want, put your mind over there. You can never get enough and you can never exhaust it. This is an ongoing thing. Next command. Set. Set your mind on the things above. Guard the things that you are finding in the gospel. Solidify them. Put these truths down. Nail them down in your mind. Why not of the things on earth? I think a really good verse to help us see this. Yeah, first John two fifteen. And we'll close with this. First John two fifteen. To 17. 
Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lusts of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And guess what? And the world is passing away. And also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Here's an aspect. Here's a, something to think about. If I anchor my hope in temporal things, my hope is gone when that temporal thing has expired. But if I anchor my hope in something eternal, my hope will never expire. If my source of joy comes from something that could change, my joy is always going to change. But if my joy is anchored in something that is eternal, my joy will never go away. We have to get these categories in our thinking. And so this is how Paul wants these, these Christians to fight against the temptation of validation. Look, Keep going after Christ. Keep seeking Him. Set your mind on Him. Know what He's done for you already. See the love that He has for you. When you did not deserve it and you should have been left dead and reserved for wrath, He saved you. He didn't just save you. He brought you in. He didn't just bring you in. He puts you to the highest level where He's going to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. So don't go after the worldly things. Don't go after the worldly religions who make you do things to question whether or not you are loved by Christ. Know that you are loved by Christ. Know it. He loves you. He loves you so much. He's done so much for you. He's taking your place. Notice another scary word. Last thing I'll say this is in chapter 3. If, if, if there is a line in the sand, those who are in Christ and those who are out of Christ. You are either in Christ where all these promises are applied to you, or you are outside of Christ and no matter how much seeking you do and how much setting your mind on the things above, those promises are not for you. So I have to ask you, are you in Christ? How are you raised up with Christ? Like we said before, our faith. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Christ has done this for you? If you say yes, and I love him, but I'm not sure, look to him. Look at what he's done for you. Let's pray now. Well, Lord Jesus, we are so thankful of what you have done for us and what you continue to do for us. We pray, Lord, that we will not lose sight of it. And we pray, Lord, to never add to it. And we pray, Lord, that we would just continuously believe it. What a message of hope. That one day we will be glorified with you. Right now we don't understand or we cannot see it, but one day as the promise of your word, we will be glorified with you.
We thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us to just die, but that you sent your son to die and to win us over and to hold us and to bring us all the way into your throne room, seating us in the heavenly places with you. This is not our own work. This is solely your own work. And we bring you glory and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.